When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You want your little voice? You can come say something. My little voice. You want your little voice in it? You want, you want to say hi to our listeners? Hello, listeners. That was beautiful. Thank you. That was great podcasting voice. <laughs> Elisa, edit this out. Elisa, <laughs> <laughs> we're really fucking serious. Edit this out. <laughs> Do you have like, an announcement in the minute? Like, like, what's the date today? Like, it's... No, 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 no. Don't announce the date because then they'll know that we're not recording this the day it's released. And they don't <laughs> know that already. <laughs> it's a beautiful day here in P-Town. We're in Provincetown, Massachusetts here today. <laughs> okay, so that's actually going to start off the episode. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> Great. Great. Mistakes. Ow. Hello, hello. Hello. We're reporting live from a kitchen of an Airbnb in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Yes. Uh. So, blanket disclaimer on sound quality you might be able to hear cicadas in the background rather than the rustle and bustle of ridgewood new york (laughs) um it's hustle and bustle not rustle and bustle it's rustle and bustle here did you say rustle and bustle i said rustle oh my god like rustling leaves you know that's what it's here Yeah, yeah 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 it's hustle in new york city the great state of new york city um yeah so anyway, that's that. On that, uh, listen to our bonus episode for some of our um, really incisive commentary on Pilgrims, on Plymouth Rock. And our recommendations of the week. Yeah. <laughs> we are, um, you know, we saved all that hot Cape Cod content for um, the premiere besties, the... the- Cream of the crop. The cream of the crop. But don't worry if you are a fucking sicko. That just wants our free shit. Our free shit and more New England shit. You'll get it this week. Yeah, there is some more New England shit this week. Don't worry, babes. Don't worry, babes. If if you need your fix of some Massachusetts history, you're about to... You're going to... You're about to get a face full of it. You're about to get a face full of it. But maybe in the meantime, go become a patron. (laughs) And if you haven't yet, think about think about why. Is it think because you why. think that sex workers don't deserve money? Is it think is it because you think comedians should just be entertaining you for free? Because if so, both things are true. <laughs> and before you say mm, I can't afford four dollars a month, take a look at that seven dollar oat ice milk latte you're drinking. <laughs> God, stop eating avocado toast, and you could buy a house. Uh, and subscribe to our Patreon. Jesus. Uh, Jesus. Uh, anyway. That's all. That's all. Okay, bye. <laughs> That's the end of this episode. <laughs> um, <Yes>. Mistakes. <laughs> Elisa, we miss you. Um, <clears throat> okay, I don't understand. Whatever. I'm not going to get into the inter- ins and outs of podcast making, but I put the gain on as low as possible in 
on this microphone and we're both sitting over a foot away from it and it still looks like we're blowing out its back. Hmm. Um, So sorry, besties, if we're hitting those P's and S's a little too hard for your precious eardrums. Oh my God, precious has both sounds in it. That was so inconsiderate of me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, anyway. Alan is staring into this window. Our beautiful, beautiful friend, Alan. Our beautiful, beautiful friend, Alan, who might be stomping around in the background (laughs) of this episode. Yes. Um, So if you want some, if you want to know what that pitter-patter is, it's our gorgeous friend's feet as they just kind of wander around (laughs) the Airbnb, wondering why it is that we think we can just take over the whole thing (laughs) as two of the members that have not paid for it. (laughs) We're like, hey, can everyone kind of shelter in place? (laughs) And not come into the kitchen, living room, and kind of office area of this Airbnb because we're recording our world-renowned podcast. It is world-renowned. It is. We're the, one of the top comedy podcasts in South Africa. <laughs> I mean, if we go through all the countries that listen to us, we are world-renowned. <laughs> um, and that's just a fact. Um, I think next week we're going to start doing shout-outs for our Patreon listeners. So if you want to be in that first round of people thanked for joining our Patreon... Um, join now. If you want us to not say your name, I'm going to message you on Patreon and confirm first, first of all, but this is, this is a announcement that, um, you should let us know if you don't want to be shouted out, but if you do want to be shouted out and you haven't signed up yet, sign up. Yes, please. So that we can help pay for this Airbnb. (laughs) Just Uh, kidding. JK will never do something like that. disgusting when you have friends who are like lawyers and work for pharmaceutical companies and are like whatever jesse is a consultant (laughs) (laughs) and you uh don't fully take advantage of (laughs) (laughs) and just kind of join their vacation listen we provide so much emotional labor and good vibes Uh, it is true we are the vibe bringers yeah could you imagine this trip if we weren't here? I mean, they couldn't even imagine the trip know. without us. They I'm were aware. like, if you don't fucking come. <laughs> what are we going to do? We were like, I don't know, probably get a word in edgewise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Not sure. that motherfucker, but definitely <laughs> those motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, subscribe to our Patreon if you want us to talk shit about our friends. Um, <laughs> Where we will be naming names. Just kidding. Yet to name a name. We have name names and we've edited them out. (laughs) We were like, Patreon is where we're going to not edit our episodes. And every single one so far, we've had to edit out at least one name. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Not this time, though. Not this time. No. Oh, my God. We're getting so good at what we do. Well, that's just because this person luckily has like four different names they go by. We also, I think, said Alan's name, but it was just because he was walking in the background. Yeah, and we also, you know, there's something like, uh, yeah, there's like, something like illegal or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Alan has is walking in an Airbnb he didn't pay for. <laughs> woo, woo, the cops show up, the P-Town cops. They're like, we noticed that you're not contributing to our huge Airbnb problem directly, but merely benefiting from it. Um, okay. Segment time? Shall we segment? Yes. 
Patreon episode, but I just did a weekend of shows in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, a friend of mine who was also on the shows, like basically booked me on the booker's behalf. Like I never was in direct contact with the booker of this mm-hmm. club. Um, my friend was like, you should come host these shows. And I just said, yes. And Honestly, this wasn't really my mistake this week. This was my mistake months ago when they booked me. But I should have asked to be in con- put, be put in contact with the booker, figured out like what it is that was going to be expected of me and like what I was going to get paid for it. Um, and I should have just like been, I should have triple confirmed that like everything was, how it should have been. This is not the mistake of my friend who booked me. Like, I'm very grateful that she wanted me there and that she got this opportunity and like included me in it. But the problem when someone books you on the booker's behalf Mm -hmm. is um, that snafus can arise. And that's what happened the day of the fucking show when I'm already like halfway to Connecticut. um, The booker, I guess the booker and the headliner together realized that everyone on the show was a white woman and um, they tried to unbook me and book someone else that was like to make the lineup both more diverse and for the material that was like for the material of all the comedians to be more diverse. Mm -hmm. Here's my thing. So happy for diversity to be a priority for both this headliner and this booker Um, should have been a priority before the day of the show. Yeah. So that's like their mistake more than it's my mistake. My mistake is not foreseeing that lack of due diligence on their end because the comedy world is fucking annoying and people are not professional and it's Mm -hmm. chaotic as fuck. And so Mm -hmm. even though that was really their mistake, I do. I'm going to take my responsibility that I should have foreseen that mistake or a mistake similar to it. And I also should just like talk to the booker to figure out like, what I was being paid and like all of that. Like I just, it's been so long since I've done club work that um, I didn't like think through everything that I should have done on my end leading up to it. So basically I got like unbooked on this show that I was already fully on my way to. Um, And then they like kind of figured out halfway through me driving back that it was fucked up to do that to me. So then they were like, okay, you can still do it, but we're going to cut your time in half and give a guest spot to another comedian, which is annoying because like, I didn't need to drive all that way to Connecticut to still do only 10 minutes Mm -hmm. of material when I could have just done that in New York city. Yeah. Um, but whatever, it's all fine. But that was my mistake. I just like, my mistake was not foreseeing the mistakes of others, to be honest. Mm. I hate to put it that way, but once again, fully not the fault of my friend who booked me. Very grateful that she thought of me and that she did that. They were actually really shitty to her, too. The headliner was, like, policing her material and was like, we have too much stuff in common. Like, we, you can't talk about your sobriety because I'm going to be talking about my sobriety. And, like, you can't talk about therapy because I'm going to be talking about therapy. And it was just so annoying that this headliner, it reminds me of our... Last week's episode, when we talked about Ariana Grande and all these people 
like accusing her of stealing their shit where it's like that may be true, but just be unique enough that it doesn't fucking matter because mm-hmm. no one can do it the way you're doing it. Yeah. That's how I feel about headliners who don't want their features and hosts to have material similar to theirs. It's right. like, well, have better material and then it won't fucking matter if we're both talking about sobriety. Yeah. Um. Also, like you don't own sobriety. If you think that you own the, the subject of sobriety in comedy, a world that is fucking filled to the gills with AA people... Mm. I mean, so many people start comedy because of the speeches that they give in AA, that it's like an actual stereotype that comedians are like bitter, sober people. And it's just so funny for a headliner to think that like she's the only one who can talk about sobriety. It's like, shut the fuck up. And I was just so insulted that they actually thought that like I would have material too close to the headliners. I was like, babe, we have nothing in common other than that we're like both white i guess and that's that is fair enough they shouldn't have booked all white people yeah but that's not my fucking problem no it's not i was unprofessional um my keepsake this week yes i mean obviously this little cute trip to p-town our friend alan being able to come last minute um and a keepsake related to my kind of Hartford shows and like that nightmare is that I met some people who listened to the pod. Some people came to the show. So shout out to them. I also met some people that didn't know me already, but like saw me and really liked me and they're going to listen to the podcast or they at least they fucking better. So hi to those people. And I met a woman at the show who was kind of an icon and a legend. There was one show where this really drunk table like showed up because they're like fans of the headliners podcast. And that podcast has like a like kind of rowdy vibe to it. Mm -hmm. So they were like shouting back at all the jokes and they like thought that it was like this like call and response kind of thing with this with the headliner. The headliner was kind of just rolling with it. She wasn't one of those people to like just shut down like positive hecklers because she knew they were like being supportive, but it was distracting everyone else. And it was like super shitty. So this woman goes over to their table and like, as if they're a table of like second graders, like chastises them. And she's like, you're being really fucking rude right now. And you need to, you need to shut the fuck up. And then they were like, are you threatening me? And she's like, oh honey, I don't make threats. (laughs) And um, I saw her then very calmly walk back to her table and just like sit down and continue to enjoy the show. And then that table was like, so like, I can't like, can you believe someone would talk to us like that? And so then they left. And then two of the people at that table proceeded to break up in the hallway of the mall. Oh my God. And there's all this other drama. It was iconic and hilarious. But then that woman, I was going to come up to her after the show and just be like, hey, thank you so much for telling that table to shut the fuck up. Like that is icon audience member behavior. Mm -hmm. So I was going to come up to her anyway, but she like makes a beeline for me at the end of the show. And she's like, I just wanted to say that like, you're amazing. And your comedy made me think so much. Like I'm going to go home and I'm going to research like non-binary issues. And I'm going to like research like pronouns. And like, you really made me think like my daughter's always telling me that I need to learn more about like transgender stuff. And she's so right. And you like really inspired me. Oh, And I know. And then she's like, and you were so funny too. Like you like made me think, but you also made me laugh. And I was like, oh my God, LOL. literally the goal so anyway uh, that just like really warmed my heart like I haven't I the the 
positive side of club shows, there's many positive sides. I'm like being too hard on clubs just because I had a weird experience at this one. But in comedy, there's like the alt comedy scene and the club comedy scene. And the club comedy scene is a little bit more corporate, a little bit more like, you know, quote unquote, like hacky, a little bit more, you know, it's like Jerry Seinfeld versus who's like a big alt com like Meg Stalter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) that's, that would be a, I mean, that's a very um, intense contrast, but in any case, the positive side of the club scene is that it brings out people like that. It brings out kind of like normie people who like you have better access to than people who just like come to comedy shows that they like heard about because like, if you know, you know, yeah. Like, I love performing for people like us. I love performing for the people who are like, you know, like trendy, queer, like Brooklyn people. But there is something really special about going to fucking Hartford, Connecticut and like performing for a woman like that and her being like absolutely like lit up Mm -hmm. by experiencing the perspective of like someone like us or or other people, like other people whose perspectives are not as mainstream. Yep. Um, and so that is my keepsake is like that experience really made me fall back in love with that element of performing for like, quote unquote, like normie audiences. Mm-hmm. My hot take. Um, I don't know. My hot take is like if you have any kind of power in the field that you work in, whether it's like your upper management in a like normal job or in comedy, you're a headliner um, or you're a booker or, you know, like you have some kind of power over the people in the field around you. Wield that power with just like a little bit of consideration for the people around you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's my hot take is like, if you have any kind of success in your field, um, it, people are going to remember how you treated them. Yep. So like, think about that. Yep. And also if it weren't for ego reasons of we're going to remember, just like treat people like fucking people. My and God. Words, and the probably bastardized words, I don't know if she said this exact thing of my Angelou. People will not, when, when you die, when you die, people won't remember what you said. They'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. Basically. Or they won't remember what you said. They'll remember like what, you know? Yeah. Basically that. <laughs> um. Anyway, your turn. Okay, um, my hot take is that um, New England and, you know, I'm born and bred is truly the most gorgeous part of this motherfucking country. It's the most gorgeous part of this motherfucking country. Um, And yeah, that's it. Um, It seems to be a hot take because when I say that to people from other parts of the country, they're like, how could you say that? Um, But it's just true. Um, so that well you've never been to the west coast right I've seen photos um, <laughs> I don't need to go because listen I'm also from New England and think it's gorgeous I'm just confirming that you actually haven't seen the other parts of the country that people I've seen photos okay great that's all I need to see okay. it's on fire right now I can't go oh my gosh um, <laughs> well just like I'm so glad to be in P-Town because it's going to be underwater next year so yeah. um, I love the end times um <laughs> My mistake is, what's my mistake? I guess my mistake, what's my mistake? My mistake is that I've just been giving this situation that happened at Honcho just like too much space in my brain. Mm. Um, And I don't even know that that, it's actually not even fully a mistake 
because like I need to be better at um, allowing myself to process my emotions the way that I allow my friends to process their emotions. I'm very good at like cutting myself off. I can be very much like a, a Puritan in that way where I'm like, okay, it's been like, you know, long enough, like put those tears back in your eyes and shut up. Right. Um, well, also a huge part of being able to process this is that going forward you'll be less likely to get ensnared in this bullshit by another person exactly yeah the more you like repress your current emotions about it the more likely you are to get stuck in this situation again Mm -hmm. i think no i agree so but yeah but it still feels a little bit like a mistake because it's just been like you know coming home with me and like coming into bed with me like it's just like been too present Mm. but hopefully I'll be putting the kibosh on it when I get back to New York. And you send a howler to this person. And I send a howler to this person. A Harry Potter howler. What's my keepsake? My keepsake is um, probably all of the time that I've been spending with our dear friend, Jesse. You know, we've been besties for all, you know, months and months now. Um, But our friendship has like evolved from like a very different place um and yeah it's just been nice to like be together this week and to be processing similar emotions where we can like be very there for each other um a lot of what we've been talking about is stuff that's kind of like doesn't even need to be said because we both know that the other gets it Mm. um yeah I just like the opportunity you know it's nice to when you're in a friend group, it's nice to check in with the friends in that friend group and really focus on your interpersonal relationship with just that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we've been doing that. It's been nice. So you like sound like a polyamorous person when you like put it that way. I mean, you know, I am kind. You know, when you're kinda. in a plural marriage, it's important uh, to check in with the individual wives. I mean, it really is. Also, I am starting to call myself as I come to learn more about it solo poly so i guess i am kind of polyamorous i mean yeah solo poly for life until somebody loves me enough to make me their partner (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so those are our little motherfucking segments for me at least um and yeah that's my mistake my keepsake and my hot take babes 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 (laughs) <laughs> listen babes listen babes that's all I have to say on that uh, okay uh, my god <laughs> what do we think the fuck up of the week was oh um oh you know what the fuck up of the week honestly is that he's all that that new movie with Addison Rae just debuted at like number one on Netflix and it's because people are hate watching it Mm. we need to end the hate watching industrial complex (laughs) like stop making it's happened with Emily in Paris man yeah enough Uh, yeah we need to also just stop the Addison Rae industrial complex yeah I know nothing about this girly yeah let's keep it that way okay let's keep it that that's what I love about you bestie (laughs) Um, you couldn't call me Chwaggy even if you wanted to because I can't even say the word right Chuggy, Chuggy, Chuggy (laughs) Chwaggy you know I just don't care about what's going on right now (laughs) I have my shows from 10 years ago yeah got my people from 10 you know I'm I'm truly a millennial in the sense that I just don't care right Um, I do want to this is you know too serious of a thing for it to be the fuck up of the week 
but um there are um people trapped in Afghanistan now that the airport is closed due to the terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. Um so if you can um donate to some things there's several organizations i don't have any of them pulled up right now but they're not that hard to find um organizations that are specifically focusing on getting queer people out of afghanistan slash just sending them resources and women out of afghanistan obviously there are a lot of other people who would like to and should get out at some point but i think the most urgent people are women and queer people Mm -hmm. um Anyway, obviously, I wouldn't classify a terrorist attack on Kabul airport as a fuck up of the week so much as an atrocity. But I do want to just give some space to that because um, there are a lot of people working really hard to help. And um, if you have funds, direct them to the appropriate people. And should we like add in like the description specific places for people to Yeah, let's do that because I can't pull them up right now. My internet is too slow. I just tried, but um, we'll put them in the description. Anyway, um, listener mistakes. Let's do that. Listener mistakes. Okay. Hi, girlies. Love the pod. Y'all make me live for Thursdays. So Mm. it took me a while, but I finally thought of a worthwhile mistake to air on your pod. Um, We'll cut out his name the person's names because he just put it down here for the sake of privacy let's not mention names um oh my god i know all about this mistake or (laughs) part partly about it um i was in a civil partnership for a number of years before i moved back to the u.s when i returned my self-esteem wasn't great i had this urge to prove that i could get another partner right away and started dating a guy exclusively shortly after i arrived In the beginning, things were great, but after a while, I could feel myself drifting away emotionally and physically. I realized I loved him, but was never in love with him. I came to this realization after speaking with a Brazilian tarot card reader recommended to me by my holistic therapist. Oh my God, I love you. You're so funny. (laughs) Um, Such a Pisces. Her word stayed with me long after the reading, and I realized I was using him as a crutch to fill my own void rather than dealing with shit on my own. When I returned from my trip abroad, I asked the universe for help to find an easy way out of the relationship. My manifesting power must have been on point because two weeks later, he called saying he needed to speak to me in person. We met up and he told me he contracted gonorrhea. Apparently, after his workout, he went to the steam room to relax and a guy gave him head. I mean, who among us hasn't? Later, he noticed something was off and went to the clinic and he tested positive. By the way, have you ever heard of someone getting gonorrhea from just head? Just curious. Okay, yes, I literally, in Brazil, you took me to the strip club, got gonorrhea in the dark room from but just in your dick. throat. Right? In my throat, yeah. Well, I wonder if you can get gonorrhea as easily in your dick. Did this oh, person oh, oh, from oh. someone's throat? Oh. I mean, I'm sure you can, but I yeah. feel like it's a little bit harder oh, okay. to get it that way. I don't oh, okay. I don't know. This is but I just I've I've heard that about chlamydia that it's really easy to pass chlamydia into someone's throat, but it's really hard to give it from your throat. Okay, okay. Gonorrhea might be different though. Yeah. All right. Um and I've also I've only heard that. That might be incorrect yeah. about chlamydia too. Yeah, I don't know. We are not um experts here at Best Mistakes Pod, even LLC. though we should be because we both have gotten 
at least one of those. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so immediately after he told me, I thanked the universe and thanked them again for also testing negative. I told him I needed to take a break. A couple days later, I called it quits. He was a disaster and felt horrible. I felt kind of guilty, but I didn't feel any type of pain or grief whatsoever. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. This is where the mistake happens. A few months prior, we had bought tickets down south to hang out with some friends of mine, not knowing we wouldn't be together. To make a long story short, we ended up back together. I did it partially because we did have some type of chemistry, but also his visa was expiring. So I just thought, what the hell? He only has two or three months left. Why not? I also feel like he guilted me into dating him again, and I fell for it. Things were going well, probably because I knew there was an expiration date. Mm. His last week... Sing it. His last week was when shit hit the fan. First, his lease ended two weeks before his flight, so he moved in with me and my roommate without being formally invited. I wasn't working at the time, so we were seeing each other 24-7. And if you know me, I need my alone time. I do know that about you. I've experienced it. (laughs) I tried to hold in my rage of having to constantly be together and hear his tiny stomping feet and uncontrollable burps every goddamn day. It was slowly throwing, throwing me over the edge. His second to last day, I treated him to a spa day for his birthday. At the spa, he received a call from an employer about the possibility of staying and working a new job. They even invited him for an interview. That's when I flipped. Now seeing that he could stay longer didn't sit well with me. I treated him like shit for the next 12 hours before his interview and couldn't find it in my heart to be happy for him. The night before the interview, I even slept in my roommate's bed. Luckily, she wasn't there to witness the drama. The next day, he Ubered to the interview. We met up afterward and I did apologize, but I also broke up with him again. He treated me surprisingly well, but later I found out it was because he needed a ride back to my place, which was a good 20-minute car ride from the city. Once we got home, he immediately packed and left for his friend's house. When we parted ways, he didn't even look at me. A day day or so later, he sent me the nastiest email, saying that I would never find love and saying that I was intolerable and a selfish human being. Absolutely. At that point, I discovered he blocked me from every social media platform, even LinkedIn. Who blocks someone from LinkedIn? When I found out about that, I didn't have any more fucks to give. He didn't get the job, but ironically, he came back to the U.S. for another job in the middle of the pandemic. We met up once and it was fine. We're now friendly towards each other and it seems like both of us have turned the page, which I'm happy for. Moral of the story, if you don't like someone, break up with them. Don't try to make it work. (laughs) Yes! It makes it easier on both of you. And also, learn to take a break from dating after a long-term relationship. Lots of love to you both. And P.S. Nika, I miss you tons. You're rocking life. And sorry we didn't cross paths when I was in New York City. Aw. Love you, babe, so much. Uh, and it's okay. I was out of town. So <laughs> do not worry about Don't it. Fret. I will come see you soon because it's. I literally have not seen you since 2016, which is disgusting because we live in the same country. So. Disgusting. Disgusting. Well, thank you for sharing that mistake, cherished listener. Um, who among us has not learned that lesson in some way or another? Yeah. That kind of reminds me of a lesser mistake that I made where I like had a really hot hookup with with a bartender at a comedy show that I had in Vermont. And um, he was super, super hot and the sex was really great. But it was just like obvious that we're not the type of people that like would long-term vibe yeah and we still stayed in touch and then like a few weeks later he was like oh i'm gonna be in new york city like we should hang out and then i like 
come to find out once he's already there and we've been like spending like a couple of days together and like, you know, he's staying at my apartment because we're fucking that he came specifically to visit me, but didn't tell me that and didn't have another place to stay. Like I thought he was staying at my apartment because we were fucking, but like if I needed to not have him at my apartment, you know, this was a trip that he made independent of me. Yeah. But then there he was in my apartment. Um, and over the course of the rest of his trip, I just slowly like started to fester and like everything about him annoyed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up actually like while he was there, I was part of this like comedy festival that was happening in New York. And one of the nights of the comedy festival, I like met the guy that I ended up like kind of dating for like six months after that. So it's like very funny that this person that I was like, oh, like get out of my apartment. Like, why did you come to visit just me in New York City? Um, was like clinging on to me like a little leech the same night that I met a like person that I absolutely should not have dated, but then started dating for six months. And I wonder if like my attraction to him was partially out of contrast to this person that I was like, can you just get the fuck out? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Ooh, maybe that'll be my deep dive. Deep dive. Deep dive. Okay. okay. I had a different one, but my deep dive will be the mistakes that I made in the relationship that I entered while this like annoying person was just living in my apartment for a week, um, kind of uninvited. Okay. Go off. So I met this person, like I said, at this like comedy festival thing. Well, it was actually, we met that night, not necessarily at the comedy festival, but then we were like, um, it was at this like comedy festival that I started like talking to them. And, um, they're also a comedian. Um, there was an immediate attraction that was really palpable that I just said, I wonder if it's because it was in the like, (laughs) contrast to this person that I was actively annoyed and a little bit disgusted by, by Mm -hmm. the end of their time with me. But either way I do, this person is the other person is hot. I just wonder if I would have thought he was as hot if not for this situation. Yeah. Um, we're like bantering. There's a vibe a couple nights later, once that other guy had left Um, I'm like going to see Mama Mia with two of my friends, like the new Mama Mia. And, um, we're like texting and I'm not someone who usually texts during a movie, but I just had such a crush and I was like texting. And then he was like, you should come over after the movie. And it, he lives in fucking Astoria, Mm -hmm. which is so far. far. And the movie was like a 10 PM movie. So like fully inviting me over for like a 1 AM hang. So I knew what was up. And I just do it. I like show up at Astoria and I'm like, let's fucking go. And then we have really good sex and he's super hot. And I'm like, okay, well, oops, hard eyes. Fast forward, we're like fucking for a few weeks. And it's kind of, it's turned into that thing, you know, where you like, you're kind of casually fucking someone, but then all of a sudden you like wake up and it's been like six days in a row where you're like at each other's apartments back and forth. Mm -hmm. And like, that wasn't the plan, but every single night you just end up with each other. That was kind of the situation. And it was partially in a cute romantic way where we would like intentionally be like, we should do this. And then like, 
later that night, we just end up at each other's apartments. And it was partially in a like fuck buddy kind of way where like some of the nights we were like fully doing other things. And then we would just kind of at like 2 a.m. end up at each other's apartments, you Mm -hmm. know, like after not spending that evening together, Mm -hmm. which is fine. But my mistake begins with that very thing where we didn't pick a lane really we were like super romantic some nights and like just fuck buddies other nights Mm -hmm. and it like made the whole situation one where neither of us felt comfortable really like asking what we are or like what the like like it made neither of us comfortable to treat each other romantically or just as fuck buddies we were in this weird gray area which i think everyone has been in at some point And that on its own isn't like a horrible mistake, but combine that with what we were both going through at the time, he was dealing with a very close family member being sick and passing away. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was dealing with, I had like, I mean, nothing to that extreme. Like his situation was way worse, but I was dealing with like, a weird life crisis and like deep, dark depression and um, a lot of money problems. Mm -hmm. And we were like in this situation where we really got along. We really liked each other. Like I said, we were fucking some nights we were going on like date nights and some nights we were just like fucking each other and like treating each other like a fucking like human sex toy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then peacing out. But there was just a little, there was just enough emotional intimacy there that um, we were like half acidly like being there for each other, quote unquote, with the things that we were going through, but not fully being there for each other, which then started to create a little bit of resentment between mm-hmm. us. Um, and he went on a three week tour. And during that, we were like texting each other the whole time and saying that we like missed each other and we were like talking about our problems and like confiding in each other. And so now there's like three weeks of us only having an emotional intimacy and no physical intimacy, which made me feel like now we would kind of officially crossed into like we are something more. Mm-hmm. Right as he gets back. I am about to leave on my own three week tour and we have one night that overlaps in New York city. Mm. And we both like make a point to like spend that night together. So I like pack all my shit and like go to his apartment with the intention of leaving to the airport from his apartment. And we spend like that night together and we're like, so like ooey gooey and so close. And then I go on my three week tour and the day I leave that very next day, is when he gets news that his family member has taken a turn for the worst. Mm. So he leaves to go deal with that. He goes home to go deal with that. And I don't really know how to be there for him about that because I still don't know what we are. And if like, I'm my fear is I don't want to make it worse for him Mm -hmm. by being like too much of a girlfriend Mm -hmm. when I'm not his girlfriend. And now he's like, ugh, now I have to deal with this person that's being clingy while I'm like dealing with this family member, like being about to die and like grieving them. Mm -hmm. So I'm like being a little bit like, I'm trying to give him space while also like being as there for him as I feel is appropriate. And now in retrospect, because we've talked about it, during that time, he interpreted it as me not knowing, like me not being able to deal with it getting real and like not like, you know, not showing up for him when it counted. Um, 
So on his end, he's like, fuck this bitch. Like my family member is passing away right now. And she like, isn't like all of a sudden isn't texting me as much and like, isn't like trying to be there for me oh when God. I thought, cause he has the same feeling of like, we just got this much closer while he was on tour. Oh and like, he's like, I thought that this was going to be someone I was like about to date. And now when shit gets real, she's oh like God. peacing out. Meanwhile, I'm like, I just don't want to like give him more to worry about because we have not had this conversation yeah. yet. And so I interpret his silence now as like, now that real life has hit, he like doesn't want anything to do with me. Yeah. And so I'm like in San Francisco and LA for these weeks. And I'm like, kind of just going about my business, but I'm like actively heartbroken. Like I'm like crying every day about it. I'm like really upset that like, he is giving me these like short responses. And I'm like, I don't want to confront him about it because I know he's going through all this shit. But like, I am heartbroken. Oh no. And oh, he's over there. Like, obviously, his family member is taking precedent, but like, in the back burner, he's heartbroken. Oh my God. I hate that. I know. Uh. And, um, and it starts to fester for both of us because I'm gone for three weeks. Yeah. And this, this shift happens the first day I'm gone. So by like week one and a half, like week two, I'm like, mad at him and I hate myself for being mad at him because I know he's going through this like horrible thing and he's mad at me because he's seeing me post pictures with like other guys which to be fair the other people I was posting pictures with were just like my friends I hadn't seen in a while Mm -hmm. so that's where I'm like a little annoyed at his annoyance because I'm like I can have guy friends yeah that doesn't you you know like yeah like red flag (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. so sorry about red flag yeah yeah but like he's seeing me post pictures with these other guys and he's like getting like kind of upset that like I'm like hanging out with and possibly like fucking these other guys and like not being like there for him enough to be clear it's not like I wasn't trying to be there for him at all I was checking in every day I just was kind of being a little bit less talkative about other stuff Mm. because I didn't want to be like Oh, my flight got delayed. Meanwhile, he's like dealing with like real grief. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, anyway, I get back from that trip or I text him like the last day of my trip. And I'm like, listen, I know you've been going through a lot, but I have to be honest. Like my feelings are really hurt. And like, I just, I feel weird that I'm about to be back. And all I want is to see you. But like, we're obviously like not where we were when I left. And I just like, I don't know. I don't really remember what I said. This is back in like 2017 or something. But like, um, I express hurt over what has transpired, but also know I'm like, I know that you're going through a lot and I'm not like mad at you. I just like, don't know where we stand. And then we get in kind of a fight a little bit where he's like, you're the one who has like ghosted me essentially, which I didn't. Like I said, I texted him basically every day and Mm -hmm. was like, how is everything? Are you okay? What can I do? But from his perspective, you're the one who like basically ghosted me while I'm going through this thing. Um, and we kind of chalk it up to like, okay, this was all a big misunderstanding. And the issue is that we didn't like define things before basically spending six weeks apart (laughs) other than one night. Um, so we're like, great. When, when we're both back in New York tomorrow, Mm -hmm. like let's spend the day together. Let's like touch base, see where we're at. Incoming mistake number like three in this whole situation is we like acknowledge what we did wrong and then we proceed to do nothing about it. And for the next three months continue to be this like weird, undefined non-relationship where we're like 
actively in love with each other, but like won't say it. Because now both of our guards are up because we like felt like the other one had hurt hurt us during that whole thing. I'm not going to get into the details of what transpires during those three months, but you can imagine it's a lot of like stupid emotional games where it's like we're just kind of testing each other on how much the other one actually cares about the other one while still not like defining the relationship. Yeah. And it all culminates in like a big fight. Um a few months later where we like have decided that we're over and that the other one is the shitty person and the the one who like like dragged this whole thing out like we both feel like we've been strung along and we're like basically just like really fighting hard with each other about how like what the other person is as like a person you know like you're a shitty person because this all happened and it, like in retrospect, and we both acknowledge this now, we're friends now. Um, it's just like so clear that we both fucked up by never really telling the other one how we felt and just like holding, like harboring resentment for shit that like was never intentional on either of our ends. And we just like never fully talked it out. We never trusted each other again because we didn't want to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended in this like big explosive fight um, where I like, was like crying to my friend who was like visiting from out of town. It's so funny. The beginning and ends of our relationship. I have someone in my apartment that's visiting from out of town, <laughs> but um, my friend is visiting from out of town. And I like waste a lot of our time together that we like never got to really see each other. And in the before times, hopefully I'll see this friend more now that the world is opening back up because I love them very dearly. Shout out to Will. Hi, Will. Thank you for being there for me during this. Um, <laughs> And I like wasted the time like crying about this situation that like the writing was on the wall back when we like had the opportunity to fix it. And then we actively didn't. And um, it was the last attempt at a relationship I've ever had, um, because after that, I was like, "Ooh, OK, I need to reassess what I think like loving and being loved looks like because I accepted this circumstance for so long that was unacceptable on both my end and his end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to me, the takeaway is like fucking communicate. And rather than like being like, oh, I like I feel like this person might be doing this or might be like ghosting me or whatever. Just like confirm that with them before now setting yourself up for if you are to continue things resenting them for a thing that they didn't even fucking do yeah well you know what bestie (laughs) much like you yes relate this relate this much like you being emotionally chaotic and reckless and this person doing the same much like you both repressing really important emotions that should have just been talked about and that kind of ruining your lives in the moment so Uh too did the earliest residents of Salem, Massachusetts during the witch trials of 1692, which we are talking about this motherfucking week. Best mistake. You know, summer's coming to an end. We're in New England. Um, And I just thought, why the fuck not? Um, But I'm not like... I'm not doing, like, a full, like, breakdown of the witch trials, like, bit by bit, because this is something that pretty much every person has, like, either watched a movie about, but we all know about the witch trials. I want to get more into the nitty-gritty of, like, what the fuck kind of caused it? How does it relate to today? 
Also, it'll, some quick ASMR of me opening a yes. yogurt container. But I'll give like a quick download. <laughs> um, so the witch trials, as I said, they're they're sixteen ninety one to sixteen ninety two. They're pretty brief. Um, but what's important to know is that in sixteen eighty nine. Um, the English crown wages a war with France in the, what's, you know, what we know as the American colonies. Um, the colonists know this war as King's, as King William's war, and it ravages the regions of upstate New York, Nova Scotia, and Quebec. Um, I really hate that every article I found uses the word refugees, but that is what we're calling them. So it sends these refugees, I'm doing air quotes, everyone, um, into the counties of Massachusetts, into Massachusetts, into the county of Essex, um, specifically Salem Village in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Um, if you know Massachusetts, um, Salem Village today is now present day Danvers, Massachusetts. Um, and then Colonial Salem Town became what's now Salem. So when you're going to Salem in October to like, do ghost tours, et cetera, see all of the sites. You're not in actual Salem Village. Um, idiot. Idiot. So um, interestingly enough, because this connects so much to today with our own relationship all around the world to refugees, these displaced people, these refugees, they come in and they, the, the people who live in Salem see these refugees as creating a strain on Salem's resources. <clears throat> and so a lot of tension begins brewing. Um, and so this goes, this aggravates an existing rivalry between families um, who have ties to the port of Salem and families who still depend on agriculture. Cause at that point in the colonies, you only make money one of two ways. It's either the port or agriculture and having farmland. Um, controversy is all controversy at the time is also brewing over Reverend Samuel Paris, who has just become Salem Village's first ordained minister in the same year, 1689. And he's pretty disliked because people find him to be rigid and greedy. Um, and so there is just a lot of drama happening. So in January of 1692, um, sorry, I said that wrong. It starts in 1692, it ends in 1693. I said that it started in 91 and ended in 92. So in January of 1692, which like, mind you, like to set the stage for what winter was like <laughs> in New England in the 1600s for colonists, I mean, literally half of the Plymouth colonists died during the first winter. So winters are brutal. If you've seen The Witch, like from every article I've read, that truly is what life was like. It's like, there's a quote in one of these articles where somebody says that it was the nights, the night skies were so like profusely black <sighs> that you, if you were walking home through like the village, you, it would be, people would believe that trees had gotten up and walked from one side of the road to the other. And people like, people would be on their way home and would be like attacked by wild hogs Ugh. that lived in the woods. So then you're like crawling home and like the pitch black on all fours bloodied and like absolutely bitten by a hog. <laughs> 
So I just think no wonder I, America's so obsessed with bacon. We're <laughs> on a fucking revenge mission. I I just I I never knew that the witch trials um could be events that created the witch trials took place during the winter, and I just think that's like very succinct. Mm-hmm. So. It's January of 1692. You have and, to remember, this is pre-climate change, okay? Uh, yeah. And these winters were brutal. There's literally, like, there is a section in one of these articles where it talks about the colonists sitting in church and Rever- Reverend Samuel um, Paris ending the, like, you know, it would be like a six-hour sermon. Ending it early so that they could go home because they were getting frostbite on their feet. Oh my God. The amount that, pe- that these people put up with just to be like the most religious ever. is psychotic. <laughs> They're like, we have to go to America so that we can be even more prude and go to six hour sermons. Yep. So the events unfold with Paris's daughter, Elizabeth, age nine, and niece, Abigail Williams, age 11, you know, famously played by Winona Ryder, which I think it's so funny that these girls were literally like ele- nine and 11 years old in the movie. They're like, mm, look at my milk me tits. I want to fuck John Proctor. Mm, yeah, that's why I'm starting this because I'm in love. Um, so they start having what is referred to by everyone at the time as fits. They screamed through things, uttered peculiar sounds. They contorted themselves into strange positions. And so a local doctor comes and he blames the supernatural. Another girl, Ann Putnam, age 11, is experiencing similar episodes. So on February 29th, uh, you know, a month after this starts, under pressure from the magistrates, Jonathan Corwin and John Hathorne, the girls are taken in by them and the girls blame three women for afflicting them. So the three women are Tichaba, which is um, a woman enslaved by the Paris family. She's from the Caribbean. Sarah Good, who's a homeless beggar. And Sarah, uh, Sarah Osborne, an elderly impoverished woman. So it's an enslaved woman and two poor women. Mm-hmm. Um So all three women are brought before the local magistrates and they're interrogated for several days. Uh, So the official like kind of court day starts in March, two months after the alleged incidents. Um, They all, uh, so Osborne and Good claim innocence, but Tichaba confesses. She says, the it's recorded that she says, the devil came to me and bid me and bid me serve him. She goes on to describe elaborate images of black dogs black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and a black man who wanted her to sign his book. She admitted that she signed the book and said there were several other witches looking to destroy the Puritans. All three women are thrown in jail. So a very like wild seed of paranoia is planted um, and it sets off a stream of accusations followed for the next month. Mothers are accusing their daughters, like nieces are accusing, you know, their aunts, Sons are accusing their fathers. Um, neighbors with neighbors who want another neighbor's land start accusing those neighbors. Um, and so charges are waged against Martha Corey, who is a very local member of the church in Salem Village. She's a stand-up citizen and woman. Um, and she also has a lot of land that she owns. Um And so the charges against her really concern the community. Um, You know, they're feeling if she could be a witch, then anyone could. Mm. 
So magistrates even go on to question Sarah Good's four-year-old daughter, Dorothy, and her timid answers are construed as a confession. Um, the questioning gets more serious in April when Deputy, uh, when, when Deputy Governor Thomas Danforth and his assistants attend the hearings. Dozens of people from Salem and other Massachusetts villages were brought in for questioning. Um, so on May 27, 1692, so this is January, February, March, April, May, so five months after the initial fits and accusations, Governor William Phillips orders the establishment of a special court of Oyer to hear and Terminer to decide for Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex counties. The first case brought to the special court was Bridget Bishop, an older woman known for her gossipy habits and promiscuity. Okay, hot. Right? When asked if What's she, she doing later? <laughs> when asked if she committed witchcraft, Bishop responded, I'm as innocent as the children unborn. The defense must have not been convincing because she was found guilty and on June 10th became the first person hanged on what was later called Gallows Hill. Five days later, respected minister Cotton Mather, Mather um, writes a letter. Cotton Mather. Mather. <laughs> Cotton Mather writes a letter imploring the court not to allow spectral evidence, which would be testimony about dreams and visions. The court largely ignores this request, and five people are sentenced and hanged in July, five more in August, and eight in September. On October 3rd, following in his, fun, in his son's footsteps, Increase Mather, then president of Harvard, denounces the use of spectral evidence. He's quoted as saying, it were better that, that 10 suspected witches should escape than one innocent person be condemned. Governor Phipps, in, res- in response to Mather's plea and his own wife being questioned for witchcraft, prohibits further arrests, releases many accused witches, and dissolves the court of Oyer and Terminer on October 29th, 1693. Okay, feminism. Phipps replaces it with a superior court of judiciary, of judiciature, which disallowed spectral ev- evidence and only condemned three out of 56 defendants. Phipps eventually pardons all who were in prison on witchcraft charges by May 1693, but the damage has been done. 19 were hanged on Gallows Hill. A 71-year-old man was pressed to death with heavy stones. His iconic last words were when they said, will you, will you um, confess to witchcraft? He says, more weight, Giles Corey. Um, wow. And several people die in jail, and nearly 200 overall had been accused of practicing the devil's magic. So following the trials and executions, many evolved like Judge Samuel Sewell, who is a um, dis- or an ancestor of Louise May Alcott's mother, um, publicly confesses error and guilt. On January 14th, 1697, so like five years after the original events, the general court ordered a day of fasting and soul searching for the tragedy of Salem. In 1702, the court declares the trials unlawful. And in 1711, the colony passes a bill restoring the rights and good names of those accused and granted 600 pounds restitution to their heirs. However, it was not until 1957, more than 250 years later, that Massachusetts formally apologized for the events of 1692. Um, Wow, what? In the 20th century, artists and scientists alike continued to be fascinated by the Salem witch trials. Playwright Arthur William resurrected the tales in his 1953 play, The Crucible, using the trials as an allegory for the McCarthyism paranoia in the 1950s. Additionally, numerous hypotheses have been devised to explain the strange behavior that occurred in Salem in 1692, 
One of the most concrete studies published in Science in 1976 by the psychologist Linda Corporeal blamed the abnormal habits of the accused on the fungus ergot, which can be found in rye, wheat, and other cereal grasses. Toxicologists say that eating ergot-contaminated food can lead to muscle spasms, vomiting, delusions, and hallucinations. And it's important to note that the fungus thrives in warm and damp climates, not too unlike the swampy meadows in Salem Village, where rye was the staple grain during the spring and summer months. Interesting. Um, So that's like one... That's one of like the leading... um, theories is that they were just like being poisoned yeah and we're going cuckoo for cocoa puffs um <laughs> cuckoo for swampy rye um so like you know these girls could have been easily just truly poisoned but like so much more was going on here right it's like there were families who literally as soon as they were as soon as they accused their neighbors and their neighbors were sent to jail their land was up for grabs mm. um and like at least 11 to 20 of the women that were accused, either just accused or accused and hanged for witchcraft, were single women and or widows who had inherited land or purchased land. Because in Salem at this point, women could buy and own land. So many of the women that are sent to the gallows or to jail are women that own land, which obviously in this puritanical culture is not something that people are fucking with. Yeah, especially because that's like one of the only requirements to vote Mm -hmm. is to own land. And they're like, okay, we got to figure something out here um, because we don't want women to do that. Obviously voting, I don't think was as much of an Yeah, but they they could have voted on like, you know, committee boards or, you know, they had a say in the community. Yeah. Um, And... So it was just a lot of like, whose land can we grab and how can we exploit whatever these young girls are going through? Um, and also, I just think like, I think it's really interesting, this idea of like refugee peoples coming into this community and then a witch trial happening because we see it today in our own backyards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other added aspect, like the other, you know, kind of like fuck up of these communities um, is just like the absolute desire to be kind of just like to lose yourself in the most rigid of religious practices as a way to deal with the absolute like lack of control that they had in this colony and in these colonies because something important to note at the time of the Salem witch trials only the, like, the population of the colonists was only 3,000 people. So, like, not only is it only 3,000 of them, and they're, like, in this land that, like, they know nothing about, they're also constantly at war with the indigenous people who make up way more than 3,000 people. Mm -hmm. So there's just, like, so much trauma and war happening at this time and confusion that it's, like, such ripe grounds for something like this to happen and for communities to turn on each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's very like uh, every movie or story about the end of the world kind of mimics this kind of like in like infighting in a community because of like the the outside like threats to their existence. 
And it's like, you know, this was the quote unquote new world, which is like an end of a lot of other worlds. The new world and so many of them, like literally so many of the colonists thought that when they got here, they were like, oh, we thought we were going to the new world. But now we feel like God has forsaken us. Careful, that's going to pick up. God has forsaken us. And we're literally in the end times. Yeah. Which is just like wild to try to comprehend and to put yourself in their shoes. But yeah, I just think, it, I think like the witch trials, like, you know, obviously Arthur Miller like did it best when he related it to like the Red Scare and McCarthyism in the 50s. But like still today we're living with like, you know, people say that the witch trials was the end of the theocratic state in the United States or, you know, pre-United States. But like, I don't agree. I think that if anything, it planted such a seed for puritanical culture to work its way into every part of our culture and ethos as a people, especially in this region of the country. Yeah. In a way that, like, they had to do it in a much more subtle way because of the witch trials. Yeah, they're like, ooh, that was too uh, blatant. We got 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 when we were that obvious about it. Now let's be sneaky and insidious. Yeah, it's like we see the witch trials today with, like, well, you know, queer people, sex workers, refugees, black and brown, like any black and brown people, anybody who is marginalized is like yeah. a victim of our current witch trials yeah. today. And also, as I said before, earlier, not on this app, the Salem witch trials were kind of the first case of cancel culture. Yeah. <laughs> but like actual cancel culture, <laughs> because it's always marginalized people who actually get canceled. Yeah. In the end. And the the most canceled you can get which is straight up murdered straight up murdered and like or or well that was the thing it was like if if people accused of witchcraft didn't want to die they just literally had to be like they had to literally sign a piece of paper that was hung up on the church in their town that said they were actually witches and confessed to it and then were just like poor and disenfranchised forever oh my god could like never do anything ever again yeah, and everyone hates you and is scared of you. Yeah, and you like, can't and you're get a probably job. still gonna get murdered eventually, yeah. just from like the fear. Whew. Well, all right. Moral of the story. Moral of the story. Benefit of the doubt <laughs> would be great. Um, unleash, unleash, unleash yourself. From, like, the fucking repression (laughs) that we all get stuck in in this weird puritanical country. But also, like, like you mentioned earlier, it's not just about these, like, like, this is the... This is the case for all the puritanical shit we see in our current culture, too. There is always a another benefit for... um, for putting these people on trial. So yeah. whether it's like taking their land or like making sure that women are not getting too much power, like look at all the things that we're being puritanical about today. Sex work is a good hot button issue example. Like sex work is an opportunity for people to find security and empowerment by means other than the like, you know, traditional labor force. Mm-hmm. And that is not beneficial to the powers that be for us to, like, find stability without them being the ones to, like, give it to us. Mm-hmm. Because in, in exchange for our, like, lifelong indentured servert- servitude. Um, so, like, 
it makes a lot of sense that it it benefits them to turn it into like a like saving people from sex trafficking yeah. so that everyone is like yeah we have to save them from sex trafficking so that people no longer have that stability and empowerment um not from their like you know traditional job yeah anybody, for example anybody who throws off the social order yes or looks or is seen as a threat to the social order is immediately honed in on as like how do we dispose of them and also how do we dispose but of- how do we make it to everyone else like a an appealing thing to do exactly and it's always through some fucking like moral puritanical ass moral high ground yes always 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 save the children same with abortion Mm -hmm. like the i mean save the children the like the refugees save the children (laughs) like literally yeah it's all about like this weird like again puritanical like kind of like appeal to like the idea of like the family too yeah and like it's just very yeah it's it's strange yeah i mean it's a tale as old as not time, but the Puritans. Yeah, the tale as old as 1692. <laughs> um, and even before that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like that's a very good um example of like an extreme version of shit that has continued to happen around us all the time, and there's always a benefit to it happening. It's not just for the sake of like yeah. everyone being quote unquote safer or whatever, which is what they 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 know that safety is one of the like core human needs and it's the easiest thing to manipulate that need not being met because safety is kind of something that like you can convince people that something is dangerous even if it's not yeah. and in a way that you can't really convince someone that they're like hungry if they're not hungry or like, you know, the other needs mm-hmm. being met are ones that are a little bit more obvious whether they're being met or not. But just like the feeling of safety yeah. is something you can really manipulate and it's just important to keep a fucking eye on it, including on the left, which we don't we don't really take advantage of it in the same way as often. But, you know, don't be fooled. The left is also a perpetrator of this like puritanical bullshit. Oh, fucking totally. Um, just be careful. Red scare. <sighs> Wait, what is Red Scare? Like the podcast? Yeah, they just like, you know, they wouldn't call themselves leftists, but they are, you know, very much you know i don't know like what they would call themselves because they critique the leftists a lot but they just they are the fucking kind of leftists who are constantly like talking about sex work as though it's like you know anti-marxist or you know like just you know trans people as being like a symptom of like capitalism like they say like lots of fucked up shit like that that like it just i'm like you're insane and you're as bad as the fucking right yeah and you're as bad as liberals yeah 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 no yeah. i mean any group think even if you think you're being like you know uh subversive and anti like going against the grain including ourselves i mean i that's why i don't think <laughs> yeah smooth brain head empty it's the Sorry. most progressive you can be <laughs> as soon as, fucking dumb as soon as you're thinking <laughs> you're actually thinking thoughts that someone else told you to fucking <laughs> think so think about that think <laughs> For example, me right now. <laughs> the only group think here is that best mistakes pause. LLC. <laughs> Support us on Patreon. <laughs> Support us on Patreon. <laughs> Subliminal messages. Uh, link in bio. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, do you have sources you want to mention? Yeah. Um, so let's see. Um, from Smithsonian Magazine, um, A Brief History of the Salem Witch Trials it's by Jess Bloomberg and, or Blumberg. And then, hold on. I have another article from New York Mag, I think. Um, oh, the New Yorker. Um, it's called Inside the Salem Witch Trials, and it's by Stacy Schiff. Great. So, yeah. And also, we are witches that were alive at the time, so. Yeah, so get into it. <laughs> so we uh, remember it vividly. Um, there are some really interesting, like, witchcraft accusations in my hometown, um, or, like, right outside my hometown in Chittenden, Vermont, around the same time. Oh, wow. And I would love to get into that for an episode, maybe, because it's, yeah. like, some really... There's a like you know the Salem witch trials were not the only place yeah they were happening this... all over at the same time it's weird that we only talk about Salem. well because they were the only ones that I think went through with hanging people okay yeah. it was more like witch panic that was happening everywhere yeah. and like accusations and like you know town politics were mm-hmm. affected by it but I don't think a lot of other places went through with legit execution yeah um I think some places did. <laughs> Like, I, I don't think that they were the only place to do any executions, but I think they did the most. Okay. Or something like that. I remember reading about why it is that Salem gets the bad rap when everywhere was obsessed with witches at the time. But um, at least in my town, I don't think there were actual executions. There were just a lot of, like, accusations and then, like, literal newspaper articles written about, like, specific members of the community and stuff like that. Okay. Um. I, you know, did not come prepared to back that up with, like, any specific references. But I would, I'll see if I can come up with enough to talk about it on a future app because um, it is fascinating. I'm looking at my phone because I wanted to pull up something that, like, on an end note that I think is really interesting. Um, so a woman condemned in the Salem Witch Trials, her name is Elizabeth Johnson Jr., she was convicted and sentenced to death, but was eventually let out of prison. But her name was never cleared. She was um, let out in 1693. She's on the verge of pardon 328 years later um, because of a group of sleuthing 13 and 14 year olds at North Andover Middle School oh my God. in their civics class. Um, so they've like been painstakingly researching Johnson and then the steps that it would need that would need to be taken to make sure she was formally pardoned. And they've now reached out to State Senator Diana DeZoglio, a Democrat from Methwayne, Mass. And she's introduced legislation to clear Elizabeth Johnson Jr.'s name. Oh, my God. Icons only. Yeah. That fucking rules. Okay. I hope um, those middle schoolers know that they don't need to do anything else for the rest <laughs> of their lives. They've left their mark on this earth and they can absolutely vibe after this because... <laughs> That's and she, amazing. She would be the last accused witch to be cleared. Um, according to the Witches of Massachusetts Bay, a group devoted to the history and lore of the 17th century witch hunts. Okay, well, I hope she was an actual witch and that she now, like, mm-hmm. m- casts a magic spell on these middle schoolers to have, like, the best lives. She was 22. Um, yeah, so... That would be sick. And I love these middle schoolers. I think they're so cool. They're the daughters of the witches they you didn't burn. burn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, babe, you're just a fucking white woman. Yeah, we are the daughters of the women who accused other women of being women. <laughs> 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 but okay. Okay. 
Okay, well, we have to go. Um, we need to get our day started. We got to go kiss our friends on the mouth. mouth. We <laughs> recommend you do the same. And test your holes. Test your drugs. Test your drugs. And kiss your friends on the mouth. Love I have to you. go eat a lobster roll. Yeah, I'm going to go eat a cold cheeseburger. Ugh, love that. Love you. Love you. Bye.